You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 190 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In November of last year, in 2017, I was officially invited to podcast the Altered Conference in Berlin. It's a way to alter your perceptions of other things and look in a different direction and find new ways of behaving or find new ways of changing your behavior or find new ways of looking at a situation. That's what Altered is about for me, is just finding a way to consciously change. Uh, so if that's with psychedelics, if that's with body work, if that's with magic, if that's with sex, tarot, whatever, whatever it is, those are things that we want to explore. Altered is a kind of consciousness explores. So however it is that you explore consciousness, we want, to, we want to be part of that. So our main website is alteredconference.com, and if you look up us, look us up on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, where we have representation there as well. This episode is the sixth and final part of this little mini-series recorded at the Altered Conference. And in this one, I will be talking to Darren Springer. Darren is a grassroots researcher and event organizer based in London. And his work aims to inform and empower individuals from diverse backgrounds to cope with social challenges and contribute to community development as well as self-improvement in an innovative, creative and culturally aware style. Darren also teaches organic horticulture and food enterprise to young people and he grows edible mushrooms. So thanks for being on the podcast it's a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. So tell me about what you do in your everyday life. What's your what's your business? Oh man, I've got multiple things that I do. I wear many hats, as they say. Um, day to day, I teach organic food growing, primarily to young people. So I go into schools and young people's provisions and teach them organic food growing and food enterprise. So it's about getting them to identify green spaces, grow their own food and sell their own produce. A lot of the students I work with have been kicked out of school or you know, get into trouble with the police. So it's giving them extra you know, curricular, extra activities to do to keep them out of trouble and they end up setting up their own business and generating money. Um, so that's what I do as well as that I'm an event coordinator so I put on a range of different types of events in London and around the UK anything from you know cultural psychedelic events history and information geared around you know developing people's knowledge and information and I just also put on events like music events and film events and dinner parties and any kind of event any space exhibitions art exhibitions um, just the kind of things that I do so how did you start your relationship with the mushroom um, it was an ongoing relationship that I had that I was um, in denial of. 
for many years I was doing research and coming across the information around mushrooms and ayahuasca and DMT and I basically the the school of thought I was in at that time was you know that you didn't want to be taking anything external to you know develop your spiritual or you know your personal development and um, I just kept on coming across this information and I just thought that wasn't the way forward until I spoke with a dear friend of mine who um, I asked, look, I keep on finding out and reading information around mushrooms and psychedelics. Do you have anything about that that you know that you could share with me? And she gave me a DVD, and on the DVD was a lecturer known as Kalinde E.E., who's very well known in the psychedelic community, but I was only aware of his background from martial arts. So when she gave me the DVD, I says, look, I don't want to know about martial arts, I want to know about psychedelics. And she says, look, just take it home and have, you know, have a look. And just around that time, I had got access to salvia and DMT, and I was thinking about, you know, should I take it, shouldn't I take it? And I watched this DVD, and it just blew my mind. And he was just going into some of the stuff that I shared over this weekend, just as far as, like, the ancient traditions in martial arts, as well as mythology and the connections with mushrooms. And I was just like, man, he's the only person that I knew had, you know, shared this type of information. So between seeing that, and then having a psychedelic experience, it all just kind of made sense. And that's what propelled me on my journey. And that was, you know, just under 10 years ago now. When I was waiting for your talk, I was looking around the room and I had a thought that you also brought up in your talk for some reason. Uh, and it was that, because I've been to many of these before, and the, what I was thinking was I was looking around the room and it was like over 100 people. And uh, they were all white people. And I and and I, then I thought backwards to all the different conferences I've been and the psychedelic community I've met, and I thought, well, I, actually, they're all white. So then, then I thought, like, and you brought this up also that uh, why is it that it's just wh- it's white people when, uh, in fact, uh, the people who are not white are usually the ones struggling in many societies, and uh, they should. Y- they need this stuff more even. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, You know, in my day-to-day, you know, my day-to-day life, you know, it comes up many, it's not just within the psychedelic community, basically. So in the organic food growing movement, it's the same thing, you know, that the people who need good, healthy food, you know, are, you know, coming from, you know, the lower end of society, don't have access to the, the good food that's being grown. And the food that is being grown good is around what we would call the trendy or, you know, the, the gentrification that takes place in London. And I've seen that. It's, it's, you know, identifiable in many areas of my work and life that you find that um, there's a, 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 I call it, you know, it's like a niche market. And what happens is, you know, with these groups and organisations, they just communicate amongst themselves. That's what I find. And if that's the case, which is fine, you know, you have your friends, you build and develop with your friends, but they don't necessarily extend the, inv- extend the invitation out to the wider community. Or if they do, they don't take the real steps, which what, what I think it takes to really engage those groups. So I always, I've got a saying that I've, I've picked up, which is, it's one thing to be invited to the party. It's another thing being asked to dance. So it's like a lot of these events, they say, yeah, it's open to everybody. We want everybody to come, but you're not doing what it takes to get those groups to come here. And I say that because I work with young people. So when my work environments, they say, oh, we want to get more young people here. And I say, well, what are you doing to get young people in, at, at the events? And they're like, oh, we're doing the same thing we're doing for everybody else. I says, no, you need to make a, you know, an effort to find out the things that would attract them and make them want to be involved and not just come, not just to 
to, to be invited, but then come and actually participate and be a part of what's going on. And uh, my last talk at the Breaking Convention earlier on this year was geared around that. Like, what could these events do to actually engage these groups? So it's not all whites, you know, and it's not all, you know, and I'm not just saying that you need to have black people. You need to have people from all backgrounds that represent this community because it's a global community. So that's how I feel mm. about it. Yeah, it's funny. It, it could also be that it's because uh, it's uh, middle class or upper middle class because, you know, going to the Amazon is expensive going to conferences can be expensive and hiring some uh, you know uh, self-help coach is also expensive so you know these people can't afford it for sure so this is where you know the work that we do in all areas of my work we're on the ground man we're grassroots you know and you know deal with the people directly head on face to face finding out what their needs are so we can actually do something about it because as i said i found that you know these circles of groups that are the organizers and i take nothing away from the organizers of this event because they've reached out to me and several other events but you know it there's there's a lot more that could be done you know there's a lot more work that could be done to make sure that it's reflective of the community as it should be and uh what do you think is the reason there is not that culture because you mentioned that in your talk that you don't come from that culture Mm. Oh, there's there's multiple reasons, you know. I could have a long list, but I'll start off as I said. Ultimately, this subject is a taboo in in my community. So my work is geared around making sure that I can share this information with my community, and they 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 hear about it more. The more they hear about it, the less of a taboo subject it will be. So that's you know that's one element because you know culturally the war on drugs, how drugs affects my community is totally different from how it affects the organisers, you know, um, lifestyles, you know even just down to the fact that it's, you know, the, the likelihood of, you know, somebody in my community getting caught with drugs, and if a white person in the community was to get caught with drugs, that my, the person from my community is going to go to jail and, you know, go to jail probably for a longer time. And in some cases, you know, you hear of musicians and celebrities getting caught with cocaine and heroin, and, you know, they just get a slap on the wrist and, you know, yeah, they get go on with their way, and you find out they're doing drugs again they're following the, as soon as they get released or even if they didn't get arrested. Whereas in my community, because drugs has got this taboo thing, and the effects and impact that it's had on our community as well as the chances of you going to jail, people people just put psychedelics in the same category. So we don't separate. We don't have the knowledge to understand that, you know, heroin, crack, cocaine and mushrooms and, you know, LSD, you know, they're different categories of, you know, of drugs, so to speak. And we don't have that knowledge. So we just put them all in one area, think they're drugs and all the associations we have with that, we follow that through. So that's why the work that I'm doing is geared around just raising people's awareness and knowledge around this subject. And then in addition to that, you've got, you know, on the other side, these groups, organisations that have got access to these, you know, to this information and they're not making a conscious effort to, you know, look at other ways that they could share. So if you're if you're if you're an organiser, you're saying we don't have many diverse members from the community at our event, then you should have talkers, speakers, films, things that reflect that. So then those people would be interested in coming, you know. And I think I shared yesterday, you know, just the fact of, you know, the experiences that people of colour have had in relation to, you know, being in Europe and our journey into Europe hasn't been a nice one. It's not been a friendly experience. And there's a lot of trauma and 
um, things attached to that that basically prevent us from really engaging and feeling comfortable in doing things. So I've taken it upon myself to challenge myself to be in situations that are uncomfortable, being in a room full of 100 white people and speaking and standing on my truth. That's, you know, part of the work that I feel needs to be done for the organisers and people to say, oh, Darren's actually got something to contribute. Mudu, who's also speaking later on today, he's got something to contribute. Kalinde's got something. Oh, there's quite a few people of things to contribute. Let's invite and get these organisers, you know, to um, get these guys to be more involved and maybe they could then communicate with the people we're trying to get involved in the projects, you know, in the events. And so it's a, it's a, a butterfly effect. So explain it. How, how does, you know, for somebody of colour who still has grown up in a fairly stable family mm-hmm. and uh, you know even lower middle class or middle class how does the whole uh, slavery and history and all that bad stuff that happened how how does does it still affect the mentality of those individuals because you mentioned this uh, uh, what, what did you call it okay yeah so post traumatic slave syndrome so to answer your question, yes, it most definitely does affect and impacts on people in the here and now, whether they were slaves or directly connected to slaves you know, in the past and may be aware of it or may not be aware of it, the impact is definitely relevant and affects them in their day-to-day lives. And um, simply because, you know, just the overall umbrella of that is that, you know, for over 400 plus years, you've have got a group of people globally that have been abused traumatized continuously and even you know over 400 years of seeing you know your family members you know slaughtered killed raped abused and how that impacts impacts on your psyche and never having any help or support or therapy in dealing with that and then trying to live life trying to support a family you know and continue with having that and never dealing with that and you're looking at 400 plus 100 years of that and then those groups they're moving to communities whether it's in the americas in the caribbean or in europe and then in society they're bottom of the ladder you know and always being <laughs> considered the bottom of the pile and treated that way like let me ask you how do you think that would impact you know your on your on your on your mentality and your well-being and it wouldn't be a positive experience and as i said yesterday that's why i give my people so much credit for actually getting this far and getting through all of this because i don't think we were supposed to break a long time ago and you know that was the plan that was the point of whipping and you know to break the character to break the mentality of the individual and have impart fear in the rest of the community so by seeing you know your family members head chopped off or their penis cut off that would the, the trauma that that puts on you you wouldn't want to you know experience that so therefore you then accept whatever they tell you to do and that was like religions our culture you know our names our identity we had to get rid of that and accept what this guy was telling us simply because if we didn't our lives were on the line our family's lives were on the line so does it impact on us yes because as a people we find it hard to trust and deal with each other because we've still got these you know these these anxiety we're still depressed and traumatized by these things by being in the part of the world that we're in and the societies that, that we live in. So I come from East London. I'm saying all that to say. I come from East London, and I've grown up around, you know, in my community with, you know, people that are in the most, you know, the most unemployable. They're, you know, we've got the highest unemployment, the highest prison, people going in prison, the highest levels of poverty, the poorest education. You know, it's like we, we've got the worst of the worst, you know, and that's what we have to go through on a day-to-day basis. So does it impact us and affect us? Of course it does, you know. And until 
that's addressed and we start having these conversations of, well, how do we address that? How do we resolve this? It might take another 400 plus years to turn it all back around where we've got an equal platform. But that's, yeah, that's another subject. But part of my um, mission is to engage my community and others to say, well, look, because we know that these you know, tools, what we call you know, psychedelics, are being used to deal with people with trauma, to deal with anxiety, to deal with depression, to deal with people who are you know, in late stages of cancer that are near death. Like it has all these multiple benefits. You know? Do we not think that this could be useful for healing our community? You know, whereas in the young people don't feel that they need to pick up a knife or a gun to resolve their situations, that they could look at it from a more from another perspective. Basically, that's what I'm trying to encourage. And it's also interesting that uh, all these uh, shamanic uh, traditions and uh, um, psychedelic traditions, uh, all of it comes from non-white people, like indigenous people. Pretty much so. So that's what I was sharing yesterday, that, you know, me going to all of these events over the last, you know, seven, eight, nine years and um, not seeing myself in what was being presented, but then taking some time out to do a bit of research and finding an abundance of information, plethora of knowledge and information geared around this subject that wasn't necessarily documented in the same way that people like to document things today, so they dismiss it. So in Africa, in the, you know, South America, a lot of it is oral tradition and you know, it's languages and things that people don't understand. So they just think you know, it's not, not necessarily relevant. But as I was trying to share yesterday, that if you really dig deep and understand the coding, you can see that it's high-level science that these so-called primitive people are, you know, are, bringing, are bringing forth. And not to say that non-white people or European people don't have their culture, because that's what part of my presentation was to share as well, that you do in Europe, in the UK, there's a rich pagan Celtic traditions that cover all of, all of this stuff. But again, Christianity, you know, you know mainstream religion have made, has made a conscious effort to suppress that. And, you know, most people, you know, it's, it's just been covered up and cloaked. So that's the same in my culture. And I found that everybody I speak to, where they come, wherever they come from in the world, I was just talking downstairs to a guy from Greece. I was talking to yesterday from another guy from Italy, and they're saying the same thing. Oh, yeah, I've seen some of these things, but it's not something that we discuss or is commonly, you know, discussed or addressed in our community. So a lot of this information has been suppressed. And for unfortunately, a lot of the African knowledge and information has also been, you know, um, suppressed and not you know, really acknowledged and appreciated for what it can bring to the table. I think my advice also to always to, to white people is that they, they should really go to Africa because uh, the biggest thing that happened to me the f- first time I went to, to Africa, Central Africa, was that I, uh, 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 you, you don't see race anymore. Because when you come from a society where every time you see a colored person, they're a cleaner or some or a bus driver, very rarely uh, anything else. But when you're in Africa, you know they're the policeman, the politician, mm. the poor person, the rich person. There, so the race disappears. Mm. And then also the second part is that you stick out as a white person. <laughs> you are the minority. And you get that feeling of, oh, oh, I'm not like everybody else. Mm. I'm different. So then you can put yourself in the shoes of somebody who is a minority in a white society. Yeah. So I think many people say that, you know, uh, people of color, go back to Africa, find your roots. But I think white people should do that more because uh, I think that would be even more helpful for the white societies. 
I totally agree. So I've had that experience of being born and bred in the UK and then my first times going to the Caribbean, my first time going back to Africa to think, wow, like you said, we're all of society, not just the bottom of the ladder all the time, which I was had experience, you know, being, be, you know, being born and bred in, in the UK. And um, I always say the same thing as far as Europeans because, you know, if we just look at maybe the two main places, Europe, London, UK, and then the America, um, you know, America, you know, they're, you know, they're top of the ladder. You know, we, you know, you put on your TV, put on your radio, you know, that's, that's the world that we see. But that's just a small portion of the world. You know, people of colour and indigenous people actually dominate the world. There's more people of colour than there is white people throughout the world. So this is something that, obviously, if you're just basing it on what you see on TV and what's being presented to you is you know it's biased basically so you know wherever you go man there's you know real true culture indigenous people doing their thing in their own way and we just don't acknowledge it or appreciate it and because the cameras are not on them we think it's all about hollywood it's all about new york it's all about london the big cities and the lights but no these people have a you know a rich culture and history that you know we should take some time out like you're saying to go out and explore and maybe help you as an individual reflect on where you come from and what you bring to the table because what you'll find which i found out is that we share we've got a lot more in common than we have differences there's a lot more cultural traditions that we share you know we all you know acknowledge the sun and the movement of our planet around the sun and all the different things that come with that and that's something that you find all around the world whether it comes under the form of astrology astronomy you know just these are things that human beings are interested in and that's what a lot of our cultures are being built and designed around so that's why we share the things that we share we all have plants growing around us so we have a plant knowledge but you might have different plants in your village to what i have in my village but we all know how to grow the plants but when we come together we should say oh these are the plants in my village this is what they're used for now you can tell me about yours and then that's how we build and move forward and say oh they we're, we're a lot more we've got a lot more in common a lot more similarity than we than we thought we may have had so yes when me and my wife, we were doing our planning to go to Gabon, uh, we were planning it, and then more and more people kept saying, oh, it's dangerous, oh, how do you, how do you have the guts to go there? And they, I heard this so much that I, I started getting paranoid, and then I started having bad ideas about what's going to happen to my wife and things like this. But then as soon as I got there, I remember my initial thought, which was that it wasn't dangerous at all. In fact... I've been to, you know, one time I got stuck in the middle of the night at King's Cross in London. And I was more scared there than I ever was in Gabon, where it was completely peaceful. Yeah, and you should be. I agree with you. <laughs> you know, London is not a safe place, you know, compared, you know, if you're just looking at the fact of, you know, day-to-day -day living in London, nobody communicates, you know. The whole idea, you see people, you don't make eye contact, you go, you know, it's... And you go, you know, I always say that you go just outside of London and you start to see communities. And the further you go out into rural communities, you see that it's a lot of respect, a lot, you know, whoever you are, wherever you're from, people show love. And definitely when you go to Africa and places of that, you know, of that nature where, you know, they're just close to nature, they're really friendly people. And as, as I shared yesterday, the reason why I feel your friends or people are telling you that is based on lack of knowledge and information and they just believe what they've seen on the news so as i shared yesterday if it's not you know that they're going to put you in a pot and boil you up and 
eat you alive or, you know, you're going to go there and, you know, you're going to catch a disease because there's AIDS and there's... You know, that's all you're ever told about Africa. But you've been there, I've been there, that's not all, that's not the whole thing. And then, in fact, that's probably a very small portion of it, but the media decides to focus on that to put people off exploring and finding out about the birthplace of humanity. Like, why wouldn't you want to find out what's going on there and what how things started because that's what my interests were and fortunately enough I have African descendancy but that's not stopped me from exploring other cultures and other traditions and seeing that they've got a rich you know rich you know and depth of information and stuff to, you know to contribute to so yes we should but the media and society have put you know a, a dark cloud over Africa and made given people the impression that it's this dark gloomy scary place and it's not Have you uh, celebrated Christmas differently since your studies began? Because I normally, I I build one of those, uh, what do you call them, uh, where you have a house with Jesus and the... Okay, the nativity. The the nativity scene. I have this nativity scene I put out, but I always remove the Jesus, baby Jesus, and I put a mushroom. There you go. That makes sense to me. I can work with you on that. Um, So to be honest, you know, I've not celebrated Christmas since I was about eight, nine years old, simply because I had an experience of, um, how can I say, Um, my whole Christmas experience was deflated um, once Boxing Day arrived. I think I was about nine years old and I just had an experience of this build up for Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And then it was just over. It was Boxing Day. And I remember I spent months preparing <laughs> for Christmas and then it was just over. And I just thought, what, what was all that about? And after that experience, I started to be... I like getting presents still as a child. <laughs> that was a thing. But I started to explore the history and culture and stuff of Christmas. So I'm not somebody who celebrates Christmas anyway in, in that sense there. But I utilise the opportunity, one, to connect with my family, connect with friends and share information about mushrooms to let people know, you know, Christmas all to do with mushrooms. And they're like, oh? And then, yeah, it sets up an interesting conversation piece. But I encourage people to do whatever you do culturally because we know all of these celebrations are rooted in true you know true traditions and um just you know the more we can share the truth about them the better so when people come to your house and see your nativity scene and say hey where's jesus you know and there's a mushroom it's a conversation piece you've got you've got an opportunity to share and educate people so i think that's great and that's what i try to do i don't so much celebrate it though do you have any websites or areas where people can contact you all of that is now in development like as i said yesterday this wasn't something i was planning to do you know i'm i'll just all of this information and research was just initially just for my yeah for my benefit and my you know my close circle so no i don't have a website no i don't have any books or ways of people can further look into this information but i'm now getting a calling now i'm feeling like maybe it's the time to start exploring that but i am available on social media facebook i'm known as darren LeBaron. that's darren d-a-r-r-e-n space l-e space baron that's b-a-r-n and you can check me out on facebook and communicate with me hit me up if you've got any questions if you've got any contributions what's been great about this weekend and all of these events is that a lot of times after i do my talks you know people approach me say yes i say i'm from belgium i'm from here and yeah we've got black pea or we've got you know this mushroom symbology in our culture i'm like look man that's great send me the link share the information because that's what i'm trying to do i started as you saw my research started in africa but then it moved into other areas and the more i can 
add on to my research, the benefit, it's beneficial to me and my research, but then I can see the benefit to the wider community that a lot of people that approach me are saying, I didn't know this, you know, I'm from these places that you're talking about and I've not even seen that before, so I'm looking forward to going back home, you know, or my grandmother used to tell me these stories and I've not heard them since I was a child and you've helped me remember, you know, so for me those are the great things about this, so hit me up on Facebook, feel free to share your research and information and let's build I'm keen. And then as and when I do get a website and bought a book or whatever it is, I'll let you know and you can let people know too. Cool. Thank you a lot. No, thank you too. Thank you for taking out the time to invite me to talk on the podcast. And I will check out Natural Born Alchemist. Yeah, man, nice. And um, let people know what you're doing. And all the best and keep up the good work. Go to alteredconference.com to check it out in case you want to go to this year's conference. And since we talked at great length about Africa in this episode, I thought it would be cool to finish with a track from the Roots project called Waggles featuring Iranki and uh, Ingnunga Jongo. The Roots project is traditional Bawiti music set to modern beats. And what is special with this project is that the indigenous who created the Bawiti music part are not left out of the financial loop they get a fair share of whatever profit is made. Go to therootsproject.com or rootsprojectsrecords.bandcamp.com And I talked to the creator of The Roots Project, Oli Boone, back in episode 147, if you want to check that out. All the relevant links will be posted in the program notes on naturalbornalchemist.com, as usual. And don't forget to follow the podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Freedom is in the mind. I'm
Come on, go. 